I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby dooby dooby doo wop. Pastor and Laura wake up. Good morning. Good morning. We are reading Luke. And we're on chapter 16. Mm-hmm. The parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Eight hundred gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it eight hundred. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Mm. <laughs> Should we stop there or keep reading the whole section? Um, we can stop. Well, let's finish this okay. section here. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one or love the other, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So pretty straightforward, huh? No, I don't think so. (laughs) I think I've always been confused by this. The part about someone being commended for being dishonest? Yeah. He was accused of wasting his possessions in the beginning, right? Mm. And then... He's, like, already fired in verse 2. And so on his way out, he calls these people who owe him money, Mm -hmm. not not him himself, but his master, and cuts all their debts in half. Mm -hmm. Well, not in half, but a few, you know. Yeah. And then the master commended him. Mm-hmm. For he had acted shrewdly. Yeah. The master 
even though it's his own money. And he fired the guy. It's not like he gives him his job back or anything. But he sees what the guy did and said, well, he used the resources that he had to... What's his resource? His resource was... He would have done that with people's bills. Like the household manager, if someone couldn't pay your bills, you would change it so that you can yeah, I think collect it's hard something. to think about that in, in today's world, mm-hmm. like in America. Right, because it's all just banks that are faceless. Right, well, and there's no really forgiveness for debt mm-hmm. except... You know, like some, there's some debt forgiveness, and I guess you could call it bankruptcy, <laughs> like, sort well, of, but not really. If someone, like, yeah, I mean, it's not the old general store where people could come in and be like, I promise next year I'll have more crops and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Like, if we owe someone ten thousand dollars you can't just call and be like hey you know what let's just say it's five thousand and how would the man or how would the master really feel well the master yeah he would have been he did lose money on this yeah but it's like i don't know how he's like okay well respect to you that you uh you did some planning for the future and you, you know, made for yourself something to land somewhere. And so his plan for but, the future is the, like he's hoping one of these people Jesus will give him not, a job. Jesus is not saying, do this. Right. What he says is the people of this world actually to make friends for themselves using their worldly wealth versus the Pharisees who is looking at use their money not to make friends, to be welcome in other people's houses, but just to be insular and make themselves wealthy. I guess... So it's... A, what yeah, it says, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Mm-hmm. So when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our money, the gifts that God does give to us, should be used for charity. Should, we should be generous. You know, we should be Well, it's not like he's people. being gener- generous with his own money. It, he's, like, giving no. away someone else's money to make friends. Right, the, Again, it's not that Jesus is saying, do this. It's saying that the world, from a worldly perspective, this guy used his wealth, and even the manager realized what he was doing and was more impressed about the work that this guy did to make friends than he was upset about the debt that he lost. Hmm. Which, yeah, is a tough thing to understand. But Jesus's point is not 
hey, rip people off as a manager. His point is that, I mean, he says that specifically. If you can be entrusted with a little, you can be entrusted with a lot. But he was not trustworthy in the beginning. He screwed it all up. Mm-hmm. That's the world, though. Mm. Okay. I'm not sure I still completely understand this. Like, I understand no, I, what you're saying it should mean, but it's still just... This is the way I understand it, and maybe is not um, as clear as it should be in it. You know, maybe that I need a deeper understanding of it as well. But, yeah, I see that story as a worldly picture of... It's not an example of how we should live our lives. But it works for people to make friends with other people using the wealth that they have. And we, being honest, can also use our wealth to make friends with the world and be charitable and caring. Mm -hmm. Not that this guy was, but... Is there some sort of clarity? Are you reading a note? I'm reading a note. It's kind of a long note, but I'll read it. Uh, The dishonest manager has no scruples against using his position for his own benefit even if it meant cheating his master. Knowing he would lose his job, the manager planned for his future by discounting the debts owed his master in order to obligate the debtors to himself. Interpreters disagree as to whether his procedure of discounting was in itself honest. Was he giving away what really belonged to his master, or was he foregoing interest payments his master did not have a right to charge? Originally, the manager may have overcharged the debtors, common way of circumventing the mosaic law that prohibits taking interest from fellow Jews. So to reduce the debts, he may have returned the figures to their initial amounts, which would both satisfy his master and gain the good favor of the debtors. In any event, the point remains the same. He was shrewd enough to use the means at his disposal to plan for his future well-being. Mm. That's an interesting take. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I forgot about, so. The no interest? Yeah. The, so, if you can be trusted with very little, can be trusted with much. If you're dishonest with little, be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling your worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So it's saying, be a good steward of your money. Mm -hmm. But then it goes on to kind of clarify it but you can't serve two masters. So don't love your money. Like, take good care of it. You have to, which means, like, when you're being a good steward, like, you have to spend time considering and, you know, making good decisions. Meaning, like, you should budget and not just throw your money away. But at the same time, you shouldn't love your money. It shouldn't be, like, your number one priority. But it does need to be a priority of some sort if you're doing it. Right, you know? Yeah, but there's a difference between love of money and managing your money diligently. Like, one of them is, you know, wow, I'm very blessed to have wealth, so I'm going to use it carefully to 
help as many people as I can and help my family as best as possible. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, wow, I've been really been blessed. But if only I had, you know, just coveting just a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. yeah. once you get into that mindset, you'll never have enough. And Right. Okay, let's move on then. I feel like I'm coming to some, like, I'm settled a little bit on it. Still, just every time I hear that parable, mm-hmm. makes me feel not right. Like, oh, he's just <laughs> giving away someone else's money. That's not very charitable. Yeah. But, but after thinking about it a little bit, like just being resourceful and planning. Well, you know, yeah, I think it makes that no makes a lot of sense. If he was ripping people off, and that's right. the reason why he was fired. And then he fixed the debt on his way out so that other people would like him. Yeah, and you I know, think then I'd be home. Too, I was when I first hear it like the debtors I'm just thinking about it, you know, as I said, in our context and in the American context, like all these people are equals and they're trading and you owe him this, you owe him this. But you know, it could be a you know, Lord and like peasant sort of situation mm-hmm. where these people will never be able to pay these debts and it's really kind of cruel, you know, so in a way, yeah. yeah, could be a kind thing. Yeah. Well, that's why all the ancient rules of law did not allow to charge interest. It wasn't just the Jewish faith, it was others as well because they didn't want people to be in debt forever. So, yeah, good job, shrewd, dishonest manager. Moving on, additional teachings. Verse 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear for, than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Do you want to explain verses 16 and 17? Yeah, just it's a promise from God that the word of God is not going to go away. That or change the word that we have now even though we have a different translation than they used a hundred years ago and we have the translation from the Greek and Hebrew and in the past the Greek and Hebrew were translated into Latin or the Greek and Hebrew were translated into German and so on and so forth that we can trust that it, the Holy Spirit is still working through the church to give uh, an accurate, or is working through the church to give God's word to the and people. And its purity. And its yeah. purity to the people. So as much as <coughs> people want to argue about the accuracy of God, now from these 
points of view, we just <coughs> say, well, this is, this is clearly what God promises to us. He says that his word's not going to disappear. The least stroke of a pen is not going to disappear. Just like the word they use is like the smallest letter. Um, like a yod, it's like the smallest mm-hmm. thing. And, and so we just read and learn. When it says uh, everyone is forcing his way into it. Where is that? Verse six, end of verse sixteen. Mm. Does that mean that means like people are excited about it and want to hear it, or um, what do you what do you think that means? The principal semantic problem is whether the word is used negatively or positively. A problem compounded by the question of the function of these verses in their literary context in Greek. Um, Literally, the word is most often used in an unfavorable sense or attack Mm -hmm. um, of forcible constraint. So, uh, the kingdom of God. Yeah, so I think it could be in a positive context. Yeah, people are excited. They're all trying to get in. I mean, you could picture it like but you could, how Jesus was preaching at that one house and it was so full that people couldn't get in and they... Drop their friend in through the roof. Like they forced yeah. their way into that house. I think it could also be, at least my mind goes here, um, I don't think I've had a lot of discussions about this word with other pastors or in classes. But I think negatively you could view it as that so many people want to uh, be in the kingdom of heaven that sometimes they try and push other people out of the way of you mean it. like the pharisees yeah hmm. that they're you know i'm right i'm going to heaven and my way of thinking is correct and no one else's and they're focused more on the people around them and pushing them out of the way to make themselves feel right than they're worried about god yeah that's just a thought that popped in my head but I I haven't given it enough thought to really... I think when you think about it too, like, the way these verses flow together does sound like it's kind of directed to the Pharisees. Um, The good news is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than a stroke to drop out of the law. So... Maybe he's, maybe it's like the gospel's being preached, but some people are trying to put their own spin on it. But you can't change God's word and add your own stuff to it. Maybe he's talking to the Pharisees that way. Like, mm-hmm. But then 
the other part that, you know, is kind of like abrupt is how we go from all this stuff about, you know, the lost son and the shrewd manager. Here he's talking about how the word of God is true and pure. And then there's this one verse about divorce and adultery. And then he goes on to rich man and Lazarus, which is also about earthly wealth and heavenly wealth. And so this one verse about marriage seems a little out of place. but Or just kind of like, I don't want to say random, but maybe that was the something that people were adding in themselves and that's why he was addressing it as their own like caveats and exceptions that aren't in the the Bible and he was clarifying it I don't know hmm. um yeah maybe it is um Everyone is forcing their way into it. Maybe it's that, um, yeah, the Pharisees, rather than forcing their ways into heaven, it's forcing their ways into controlling the law and the prophets. Hmm. And choosing for themselves because... um, Jesus says that one time where he's challenged by the Pharisees about divorce. And, you know, well, if divorce is wrong, then why did Moses give us a law that we can divorce? Right. And Jesus has to say, well, he gave that to you because you're sinful people and he wanted to protect the women, you know? It's not because it was a good thing that God liked. It's because you were doing this just writing a note of divorce and then walking away from your wives. And you can't do that. You wanted to protect the family as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So I think that's this, that the Pharisees and the prophets were trying to force themselves into being interpreters of the law and saying this exists in God's word or that you really don't have to listen to that part. And Jesus saying, no, all of it still applies. All of it matters. Yeah, so this may have just been like a hot topic for them. Mm-hmm. And that's why he says it. But mm-hmm. he doesn't, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't believe the rich man in Lazarus has anything to do with divorce. So no, but it does kind of, have to do with the Pharisees who were rich. So, yeah, this is kind of Pharisee. That's where I would see the thread coming through. All right. So then, unlike you've said before, these headings we have in our Bibles weren't there when Luke wrote them. Mm -hmm. So someone just divided this up. But this is all just Jesus speaking. If you're following along in the Bible, probably see that it's all read, which means Jesus is just going on and on. So that's why I just was questioning is if these headings weren't here, this is like one long sermon. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you can't serve God in money. You can't blah, blah, blah. And then 
forcing your way in, divorce, and now here we go, like about rich men, and just seeing that one line was like, just making sure we're all still awake or something. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the only, you look at the only commentary that Luke has so far is the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Yeah. That's the only thing that's not what Jesus says. Right. And, you know, the divorcing of the wife or losing other, um, for whatever reason, you know, just kind of, because this divorces wife and marries another woman commits adultery. I mean, that is greed and coveting as well, you know, that I am not content with the thing that I have now. Uh-huh. Not that a wife is a thing, you know, I said that poorly, but with my current situation and I need to be happier, so I'm just going to get more. Right. It's having your selfish desires instead of following God's will. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then let's finish it up with this last part of this chapter. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the end of that chapter. But as we said before, those are human put in chapters. So, I mean, it could keep going or he is going to go on with another story. I can see verse chapter 17 starts with a section that's a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's the end of this chapter for us. Any questions on Rich Man and Lazarus? Um, I wrote a note in my Bible at some time. It looks like maybe high school based on my handwriting. Just wrote, God works through his word, not miracles. More often, yeah. 
and I mean I think there's some truth to this but it's also a story like there's a chasm those who want to go from here to there cannot right so that's true once you're in heaven you can't go visit hell Mm -hmm. or vice versa but I don't obviously know anything about these other places and dimensions, but it seems weird that he'd be able to see up to heaven without being able to go there. Yeah, I don't put a lot of speculation into that. Right. I see this as more of... It's to teach the lesson. Right, the idea is to teach the lesson of heaven and hell and have a conversation between the two... But the, I mean, mic drop closing moment of this that you won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. That's alluding to basically Jesus rising from the dead. Yeah. Like, you didn't believe through all these years and now this, I don't know. This won't change your mind either. Yeah, and if you have any family members that did not believe in God that are in hell, you know, that would have, hypothetically, if this situation would have happened, just, you're in a generation that's going to kill someone, not only me, but also Lazarus, you know, even though he calls the rich man a Lazarus, Lazarus is going to die and Jesus is going to die and you're going to see both those miracles and instead of going this has to be the one true God you're still going to not believe so then what about that um, Roman centurion when Jesus dies then he says surely this is the son of God yeah there's a lot of people that saw these miracles and believed that Jesus had power but he's speaking specifically to these Pharisees, to the these leaders of these okay. church. Well, the ones that have hardened their heart uh, against Jesus. That mm. no matter what miracle they saw, and knowing God's word better than almost anyone, as far as what the text is, but not what it means. But they still wouldn't believe because their hearts were set on worldly wealth or dishonest dealings or this has to do with being generous again like the beginning emphasizes that he had a lot he was dressed in purple and lived in luxury Lazarus Mm -hmm. was sick and sore and wanted just scraps so part of it's about faith but also do you think you should have been kind and generous to those you saw in need. Yeah, I think the focus of this entire chapter is focusing on the world rather than focusing on God. Yeah. You know, using worldly wealth for yourself. Yeah, the Pharisees loved money, and then we'll come to that sometime later when they have the marketplace in the temple like they're Mm -hmm. the priorities aren't right they don't have true faith they don't they're so focused on their 
traditions and their money that they don't see Jesus for who he is. Mm-hmm. And the traditions that they love... Are man-made. Are, well, many of them are man-made or they're uh, made by God, but they're using them just as systems to get money from people. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's still a critique of the church that, or stereotype of the church that people have. Oh, it's just there to make money. You know, it's... But Anyone who says that probably hasn't looked at a real church budget. <laughs> They're not making money. No. no. <laughs> well, I mean, at least not our churches. No. I mean, maybe there are some organizations yeah. that do that, but... Sure, but... I mean, our goal is to preach the word of God to as many people as possible. Right. And we need to, as we said, be good stewards of our money, but not make it the focus. So this, you would say this whole chapter is a kind of a critique of the Pharisees Mm -hmm. and their wrong priorities. Mm -hmm. Which anyone can slip into, you know, just focusing on the things of this world rather than looking to God because it can distract you to the point where you're led astray completely yeah it's it's hard to keep your focus I mean even in like one day or one sermon or one prayer mm-hmm. there's just constantly things that are trying to to distract you and think about yourself and think about your everything you know your health your time your treasures your whatever you have you're Mm -hmm. constantly being tempted to to think about them and if you're a pharisee and you're in that lifestyle of i don't know like their tradition of being too traditional you know it's hard to break free Mm -hmm. yeah they're the end of uh epistle lesson for yesterday in 2 Corinthians talking about focusing on what is unseen rather than what is seen because what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal Mm -hmm. and yeah when you see something (laughs) you focus on it I mean Mm -hmm. because it's there and to think and ponder and keep your mind on the invisible is very difficult, which is why we need to rely on God and pray for strength and, well, and really make it an intentional our, part of our life. Yeah, Right, take time out of your day to, to pray and study God's word. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, it's... As important as anything else is for more important than anything else is in our life, but unfortunately it oftentimes just slips back in our schedule. So make it more intentional. Pray to God for strength to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Good All right. good takeaways. Go to seventeen tomorrow. Alrighty. Adios. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop Pastor and Laura wake up